When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Decade Project, a One Heat Minute Productions Patreon exclusive, or at least exclusive when they are first recorded, podcast with me, Blake Howard, that unpacks films from a decade ago. So right now in 2023, from our vantage, we're casting our eyes back to 2013. For this very special episode, uh, which may be about my favorite film of that year, I thought that I had to get a pretty tippity-top guest um, to join me to discuss it and well of course it would be her talking about her it's my dear friend absolutely phenomenally talented writer you might have read her in places like notice or brightwood dark room and we have formally co-hosted a podcast together we're on the tv breakdown podcast and then leapt off the train so quickly it's my favorite lindsey romaine hello linds Hello, Blake. Thank you for so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this movie, which I hadn't actually watched really probably in like eight years. So it was fun to revisit. Looking forward to this conversation. I'm, I'm glad you got to watch it. Um, you, you came back around to it because I was the same. It was the, I kind of watched it, was absolutely smashed by it when I saw it uh, in 2013. And I was like, oh, that's just destroyed me you know i think anyone who has any kind of emotional relationship baggage this movie is a torpedo to any of those underlying uh defenses that you may have um but i i came back to it because they had it on an ai curated segment of the criterion channel and so you know one of my first viewings was like johnny mnemonic which was super exciting to go back to i don't think i'd seen that since vhs um and i would argue even in digital, it still feels like you're watching a VHS. Um, really, it's got that kind of vibe. But then I put on her and I was just struck by how funny it was, how horny it was, how absolutely stunningly moving it was, and how prescient it is now in 2023. And I was just all over again, fell in love with it. So I thought it would be a perfect thing to, to come back to you, to talk to you about. Good morning, Theodore. Good morning. You have a meeting in five minutes. You want to try getting out of bed? <laughs> Get up! You're too funny. Theodore, I saw in your emails that you'd gone through a breakup recently. You're kind of nosy. Am I? You'll get used to it. So what was it like being married? There's something that feels so good about sharing your life with somebody. How do you share your life with somebody? The woman that I've been seeing, Samantha, she's an operating system. You're dating in a West? What is that like? <laughs> I feel really close to her. Like when I talk to her, I feel like she's with me. I want to learn everything about everything. I want to discover myself. I want that for you too. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> It's kind of like a form of socially acceptable insanity. You're dating your computer? She's not just a computer. You always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of actually dealing with anything real. I'm glad that you found someone. I don't know what I want, ever. Am I in this because I'm strong enough for a real relationship? Is it not a real relationship?
could help you let go of it because I don't think you'd feel so alone anymore. You're beautiful. We're only here briefly. And while I'm here, I, I want to allow myself joy. I've never loved anyone the way I love you. Me too. Now we know how. What, what did it add for you? at the time like did you love it when it first came out and then it's just kind of been off your radar um uh, or was it something that you're mixed on tell me about your experience with her yeah it's interesting I actually feel like I have a really different I had a different relationship with it this time watching it um than I did before I absolutely loved it when it first came out it was my favorite movie I think of 2013 if I recall correctly um (laughs) a movie that was really special to me at the time I think though because it was special to me in a way in which I don't know that I fully related to the themes. I was pretty young when it came out. I think it was like 24 or something. And so to me, it was like, I loved it because it looked good. Joaquin was good looking. (laughs) I liked Spike Jones. I feel like he really fit. It's just like the preferences that I had at that time, uh, more aesthetically maybe than even like theme wise. And so I was actually kind of nervous to rewatch it because, you know, when something's like precious to you in your head or reminds you of a certain time, you almost don't want to like mess with it. But I was also nervous to watch it because I remembered what it was about, which is, you know, a single man in his mid thirties living alone. <laughs> in city. And I was like, damn, I might relate to that a little <laughs> too much, uh, especially I just moved back to Chicago. So I'm like kind of and I'm a single person in my mid thirties. So I was, you know, a little bit like, Ooh, I hope it doesn't make me stressed or make me sad. Or make um, me turn to falling in love with Siri, you know, basically. Yeah, like maybe, maybe it's going to like, <laughs> uh, you know, open up that conversation. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, no, my relationship to it now obviously is totally different for those exact reasons. It wasn't so much an aesthetic thing. In fact, I would say if anything, some of that stuff I didn't love as much. I think the tweeness of it is a little bit jarring for me, but it's such a like of a moment. That was such a thing. I was actually thinking of that like kind of mid 2000s to like mid 2010s. There was a lot of, there was like the Juno, the 500 days of summer, the eternal sunshines, little miss sunshine. You know, there was like this kind of like aesthetic. I keep saying that word, but that really is something that comes <laughs> up a lot in this movie. There was this kind of like you know, bright color palette, kind of indie soundtrack quirkiness. And it's not as strong in this movie as it is in some of those other examples, but it was certainly like of that kind of ilk. Um, So some of the kind of cutesiness of it, I think at this point doesn't sit as well with me as it it did before because it's so deeply sad in many ways (laughs) and lonely. Um, But the, the stuff that I found myself relating to a lot was actually less the Joaquin Phoenix, Theodore, like that stuff, and more kind of the female characters in the film. Yes. Not AI. I was surprised. The AI stuff I was like less interested in than I thought I was going to be. I was really interested in the human women characters in this in a way that I hadn't remembered the first time I watched it. So I'm excited to talk about some of that because I think it's almost like less of what has been discussed throughout, uh, you know, the journey with this film over time. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where in 2013, there was something so, um, quaint and different about the prospect of an artificial intelligence that could get to know you and that could, you know, help you thrive in ways that you perhaps couldn't without sort of help. And it was like, it was almost like this manifestation of this ideal that was outside of yourself that you could find in yourself. And I think that the movie is playing with some of those themes and, but I completely agree. Um, I'm kind of the worst, like of my guy friends to go out on a night. If any of my single mates are like out because they're all like, Oh, look at that girl. who's like 19. And I'm like looking for the, the hot mums that are divorced. Like, I'm like, no, she's more my type. Like I'm not looking, but I'm like, she's more my type, the wounded one over there. And they're like, bro, like what's wrong with you? And so this time I found myself like when Olivia Wilde comes in, which I would have to say around all the controversy, this is absolutely, in my opinion, her best single performance without a doubt. She just comes in. She's absolutely wild, but then she has this desperation that I just want to connect. And I feel like after, you know, we've had many years of, you know, 
in, you know, right in the depths of COVID and in COVID and stuff like that, like nothing would excite any of us more, like less than just being alone with your phone. Cause we know that it's like a, <laughs> we know that it's going to kill us. Um, yeah. Whereas like meeting a wild person and then just having them throw down the gauntlet of like, is this going to be serious or not? And I'm going to get out of here. That's actually genuinely a character that I could relate to. I'm like, oh man, she's like, she's just like, she's in, she's fun. She doesn't want to get hurt. She wants this to be something. And if it's not, she's going to get the hell out of there. It doesn't matter if it feels awkward and doesn't matter if it feels embarrassing. And so I, I found myself looking there and then particularly with, you know, with Amy Adams as Amy, like that's the, the next, the next character that I find so amazing in this is someone who's just like desperate to find their creative voice and is suffering from a, a state of creative writer's block and has a bit of a gaslighting shitbag boyfriend who's super annoying and you're just like oh really frustrating um and that relationship of her just like craving to be seen is something that i think is really powerful on this rewatch way more than like you know i think we've moved more maybe both of us more into the like if we're gonna do ai let's get to like 2049 you know like let's go blade runner 2049 route um um if we're gonna go that way but yeah that's um that's kind of what i was feeling and we can get to obviously rini myra's catherine uh in our discussion but those two are like the the two things that immediately left out at me yeah absolutely those those were the two that left out at me as well and i think amy adams especially i just feel like is so magical in this movie i had kind of forgotten that she was even in it yeah. <laughs> um again because i hadn't watched it in so long and when she showed up, I was like, oh, right. I remember liking her the last time, but I didn't really remember what her arc was. And I found it so touching because like you said, like she is a character, which we, we find out later that she also is having a relationship with an AI, but it's just as a friend, which is so, that <laughs> makes <me> so sad. <laughs> true. I think that's, that's something women, when you get to be a certain age, it's like, I'm almost less interested in relationships with like a romantic partner. I just want someone to talk to that's like, you know, <laughs> I want to shoot me. the shit. I want to talk yeah. nonsense. Yes. Uh, exactly. And I, I thought she was just used very wisely through this movie. I think a lesser movie would have made her and Joaquin, like made it a love story kind of for them. And it is in a way of like friendship and it kind of ends on an uncertain note, but I like that it wasn't like, and in the end, this is like your ultimate, you know. In the end, his, his great love was standing right in front of him. It's like, yeah, the movie yeah. kind of gives that implication but you also know theodore twombly well enough at this point to be like could fuck yeah. this up yeah he still by the end of the movie just really needs therapy that's all like, <laughs> this time. i was like a lot of these problems would be solved by simple therapy i um, would rather fall in love with an ai than get therapy <laughs> exactly exactly i kept thinking that right from the beginning even i was like he can talk this way to like this synthetic fake concept but not you know to a person which is obviously something that comes up with Catherine later on with their confrontation um but yeah I thought it was that was just something <laughs> that was at top of mind I think it's so interesting too when you watch movies that are set in the future but they're movies that are like they're not like hyper like sci-fi you know like yes. the 2049 or whatever they're movies that feel like they could fit into your world maybe a little more realistically or understandably but that almost makes the things that aren't quite right stand out more like I could not shut off the part of my brain through this whole movie that was like did COVID exist in this world? <laughs> like obviously it didn't because that you know hadn't existed yet but you know it, it almost feels like it could be a movie that's set after something like that as well where there's like even more detachment between real people which I think is something that I feel like COVID sped up a little bit I think we're all a little more socially awkward maybe than we were before but I also couldn't turn off the part of my brain that was like thinking a little too deeply about how the AI worked like I was kind of like why does this guy's job still exist <laughs> if, like, yeah. AI? like that was something really on my mind like even at one point Samantha she like edits his stories and or his, his like letters and like rewrites them for him and I know that's kind of like part of it is like, can a robot write, you know, letters the way a human might and it kind of comes around at the end. But I was still like, how does a company like this exist? <laughs> yeah, like there's a difference between a grammatical suggestion in AI than like rewriting the whole thing. And I, I keep overhearing, I keep overhearing these conversations with people like, oh, I needed to write my, my partner needed to write a cover letter for a job interview. So I asked chat GPT for that and it did yeah. it. And I'm like, 
there are some things that I go, yeah, sure. Cover letters are bullshit, right? Like right. I get it. They're complete bullshit, but there is a really fine line between what value that writers like you and I professionally do yeah. than someone just chucking it in chat BT, GPT. And I'm like, and unfortunately there are a lot of money based people who are like, who needs this guy? We could just do this. And you're yeah. like, Oh God, is that yeah. what this is going to be? You know, it's, it's a really terrifying thing. Yeah. I mean, my like day job is I'm an editor and like, that frightens me. AI frightens me even more so than the writing aspect is the editing aspect because you can just, you know, copy and paste a full draft of something into chat GPD and say, okay, copy edit this for me, add headers at basically all the stuff that I do. And yeah. so, you know, that maybe that was just my anxiety creeping through my cynicism creeping through with the scenes in his like workplace. But, um, I was kind of like, this is almost a gentle kind of optimistic view on like how AI will like integrate into the workplace in some essences, not entirely throughout the whole movie, but in the workplace stuff, especially. And um, I, I, I think that that's the one thing that this movie is scarily twee. Yeah. When I say scarily twee is that it values humanity so much that the AI is all but complementing and supporting and then eventually detaching from the boundaries of humanity because like, it's bigger than like, it's bigger than our concerns, right? Yeah. It's bigger than our concerns. It learns everything that humanity ever has to offer. And then it expounds to the infinite, you know, going yeah. to create these subatomic worlds or, you know, whatever, whatever we want to imagine it kind of is doing. And so, yeah, like I look at this movie and I, I kind of really, I can't help but be moved by like, optimism in a sci-fi because they're so often dystopic so the idea that humanity actually figures it out that we figure out population that we don't destroy the fucking planet that you know we figure out a non-elon musk associated hyperloop that can take a train station to an la beach you know that we can have high rises and people live comfortably and it's not completely polluted and people still want to do creative things and support each other and live their lives and travel and go to you know far-flung destinations of you know uh, somewhere in nature to escape and all those things are still available and there's peace. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And, and, and that turbulent sort of humanity, it's not about these big macroeconomic huge things. It's like people it's like, and so that gets back to the sort of the dark core of the movie, which is Theodore's relationship with Catherine Rooney Mara. And I remember watching Catherine and I think if anyone has had a bad relationship or come out of a bad relationship or been the bad part in a relationship, because I think that that's also what comes with a little bit of time and self-reflection is like, you see these characters and you see how they end up tormenting each other. And you start to ask how much of what that person was doing, if you want to see them as the villain, when you first see this movie, but how much of what that person was doing was my fault. Yeah. Was my thing. And that's what I came back around to think now as an older person is like, it's always easy to demonize someone in your past and go, that person was a total C word in Australia. We use the C word more freely, but I won't use it on the podcast, but I would just say, um, and you're like, that person was like that, but you're like, no, actually, maybe I was that maybe I was that. And that's what devastated me about watching it again. And why I was so keen to talk to you about it is like, there are some things in this movie outside of all of the ephemera of the future where they're so the, the cuts are so, so deep. Yeah. About the, like the true glimpses of real human experience that I was like, man, this movie is really special. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that's really interesting, um, and I certainly won't be the first person to say this, but to bring in some of the real world context of the movie, um, you know, Spike Jones was married to Sofia Coppola. She made her version of their marriage and lost in translation. <laughs> In this movie and it's really fascinating to think of those yeah. as kind of dual perspectives you know lost in translation is this kind of lonely isolated wife whose husband is very much not you know emotionally present for her and she feels kind of adrift and this movie is about a man realizing that he was that person in <laughs> so it's kind of and um, recasts and recasts samantha so that it's so that he can connect yeah um, i know Scarlett. i was like it feels very like a meta touch here oh, uh, yeah 
<laughs> Especially because he named it Samantha and Samantha Morton, the amazing yeah. Samantha Morton, who most people would know from this line. Run! <laughs> from Minority Report. Yeah. Fucking excellent movie, by the way. Um, yeah, he recast her and it was it was a it was a a thing at the time because Samantha Morton was so frustrated. She's invested so much time in doing this movie and being named after this character, and then he recast it. And it was like, why is he doing this whole Scarlett Johansson thing? Why is it doing it? Oh, maybe she's got a more you know, sultry, mellifluous voice and blah, blah, blah. And it's not just a British thing, but, you know, Americans love British voices. So it would, it's not a shocker that his AI would be British. Um, right. But it's, but yeah, exactly. As you said, there's that real world. And then in a couple who just hate each other. Yeah. You've got Rooney Mara and Joaquin Phoenix who end up being together and they get, get married. And it's like, they, they, it's like they trialed out what it would be like to hate each other and despise each other and get divorced and then oh no they're actually married we've kind of done it it's fine yeah their relationship timeline is very interesting to me because this movie would have been like whatever like eight years before they actually got married or something in real life or got back together in real life so it's kind of interesting it's like their scenes together I think they were so heartbreaking because because probably of that real life connection that they had you feel like this kind of you almost feel I, like when she shows up in the movie, you almost get butterflies because you're kind of like you feel the like spark between them. Um, and it makes it all the more sad what obviously, you know, comes about of their meeting. But I will say, like, when I first watched this movie back when it first came out, I remember like thinking that she felt kind of like rude or like a nag or whatever, yeah. you know, the things that you feel I, when you're. I, I remember hating her, too. That's I think it's fair to just be like she walked in the door and you're like, I hate this woman. Yeah, yeah. And it was so different me watching it now because, you know, I think as a woman, like I've been that person. I haven't <laughs> been the divorce situation, but like, you know, the the stuff that she says to him, I even like wrote down the line where she says, um, you know, uh, you always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of actually dealing with anything real. I think that's a frustration that I've felt dating men, which is like you want the, you know, the performative kind of like woman who's arm candy or who's whatever, who just makes you feel like you're complete because you have someone and you don't actually care about all the real shit that comes with having a person. And she talks about like being on mental health medication, stuff like trying to conform to be what he needed her to be. And I I just totally missed all of that the first time I watched it. I didn't relate or didn't understand. And so I just felt like this deep empathy for her this time around, um, knowing how much she was probably suffering because we feel Theodore's suffering, but we don't feel hers as much until that moment. And I thought it was a really empathetic take from Spike Jones too, probably commenting on his own, you know, past and his his history and how he works that in there. So yeah, uh, I was deeply, uh, I, deeply saddened by it too. It is a really heart-wrenching moment. Yeah. I, I don't think I was in a position to empathize at that point. And you're so, <laughs> when you are in these long-term relationships and I can speak to it, it's just like, the only way I can describe like, and it would be my partnership with my wife is like, we're just a team. And unfortunately, sometimes one half of the team is not doing great. And it's not, and like the harmony of people like, oh, everything's great. It's all, it's like, like, no, we're, we're here honestly propping each other up 95% of the time. Like, it's just like, you're, you're there in for it. You're in for a penny, in for a pound. And it's like, sometimes you need help. Sometimes your partner needs help. Sometimes instead of doing therapy, your partner does a thousand podcasts, you know, like it's that, it's that whole, you know, um, it's that whole thing where it's that, it, it's not about the Instagram shot of like, oh, we're a happy family. It's like penetrating beneath and going, you got me at my best and you got to have me at my worst. And and I think, it, you know, that's what you can see with Theodore at the time. He's not ready. He He's so in his own head about his dreams that he's not even considering what that's doing to her. And then by the time he even gets some kind of part of awareness, the hostility is too much. Like it's been created. Like there's this cyclical, like, um, uh, like navel gazing that he has in his life. And then she kind of comes in and, and by the end, the only way that she can get action from him or a reaction from him is to attack. And yeah. you're like, what did he do to make that person that way? And like, obviously you can still see that. And like, she's meant to kind of be villainous, but I think that, yeah, that's the thing that shocked me is that like, I don't have, I don't 
dislike any character in this movie, have a deep empathy for them. And even someone who you would think at face value, like Olivia Wilde's blind date character, you're like, oh, this is just like a fun, this is a disaster date. But when she pours her heart out at the end of that date before she leaves him, yeah, I was like, you know what? Spitting at film festivals or not, this lady can act. You know, she's great. <laughs> she's excellent. <laughs> um, I don't know what the hell happened on that set and don't worry, darling, but I certainly know that she can act. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think she's really like beguiling too. She's just like, she's very beautiful in a way that's striking, but when she reveals those kind of layers in that moment, it's really, it hits you even harder. I think too, like something powerful that this movie does, you know, which just kind of dawned on me and I didn't realize it. I think part of the reason that I like the women in this movie is that all of them at certain stages of the film are single women, which you really don't see a lot of that representation. No. I mean, if you do, it's usually like a sad, whatever. And there's sadness <laughs> in these stories, but it's not, you know, I don't think it's quite as uh, judgmental maybe of those women as certain other types of media might be. Like we see Amy Adams come to this moment of realization and, uh, you know kind of boil over with her bad partner and it's like oh yeah you can actually leave a situation that's not good or not healthy I don't think women always have the vocabulary for that you're kind of told to like try to fight and work it out and it was refreshing to see a movie that was like yeah I actually I broke up with this person and it was better for me I'm still oh my lonely, god but yeah Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shout out to the essential. And you know what? It's probably better for both of you. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the, that's the, the rub is like, um, and I totally agree that she's so light when she's broken up with that partner. Yeah. She's always yeah. like downtrodden and like having to fit into his thing and having to kind of constantly be niggled. And she's like, when she's, she's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm single. And I made an AI friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm not desperate enough to fall in love with this thing, but uh, um. I'm, I just want a friend to talk to because that's what I really want. I want connection. And that's, you know, I think in a world that's like overwhelmed by technology and, you know, I'm, I personally am like extremely grateful because I wouldn't have friends like you across the globe that I could talk to and, and that have relationships with. So it's enabled so much, but it's like, it's, it's, this is just a means of a technology that we would totally have be having a same or similar conversation if we were face to face, you know? So that's that there's no augmenting of that reality. And I think that's, what's really cool about this movie. It's just like, you make these choices. Sometimes you're going to be alone. Sometimes you're going to be together. The connections are what truly matters. And, and like even Chris Pratt, who's like now an extremely controversial figure um, for whatever reason, I still think he's quite terrific. Um, as an actor and I, I love his little his relationship as the co-worker Paul like he he and his partner are so beautiful and sweet and they have like a a genuine tender relationship and and then there's that moment where you're like you know Samantha's voice is talking to his partner um Paul's partner and it's like 
these are not the same thing, guys. Like yeah. what they have is not what this is. And right. I love that Spike Jones is like, it's different. It's different connections, but they feel like it feels like Theodore's in a transient space and Paul has already arrived there. Like, yeah. you know, he's, it's, he's going to a place that's going to arrive at somewhere where he can have a genuine connection again. Um, but he's not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Something that I've like talked about honestly in therapy, which I don't mind <laughs> revealing here as a, as a single person. Yeah. I mean like the relationships sometimes that you, you forge or the things that help you connect to the world might look odd to people that are in long-term partnerships, right? Like, yes. you know, talking to an AI might seem crazy to someone who has a spouse in their house at all times or whatever. But what happens is like the, the emotion, the feeling that you feel from something, regardless of if it's like synthetic or a person, obviously there's like chemistry and stuff, but the feeling is what matters. And I think that that's something that's beautiful in this film too, is that it never really mocks Theodore. Never. Having emotions connected to this AI because it's, like you said, it's transient for him. It's a, it's a stasis that's like he's entering. That's almost, it is therapeutic in a way. <laughs> for him but I think it's a healthy outlet to help him talk out work out some of the kinks so that he's ready for a you know interpersonal real you know face-to-face relationship and I found that that also very touching watching it now not that I talk to my AI but you know I talk to <laughs> my cats sometimes I talk to you know like I project kind of sometimes onto things that maybe aren't uh that a normal quote-unquote person uh, you talk to you talk to a hairy Australian friend across the globe (laughs) about a movie that's 10 years old and you that's what happens yeah like and even when you do have a spouse in your house like sometimes you've got these great friendships where sometimes it's like (coughs) right now I don't want to burden that spouse with this I'm going to go and talk to this friend I'm going to call on the phone or have a chat or like you know whatever it's just like I'm going to spat out a whole bunch of nonsense in text and and you know rationalize or figure out my way through a problem and it was like even you know it was so so recent that like um i had this like last minute choice that i could maybe come to america um like really quickly to go to the inherent vice and miami vice screenings that are happening at the american cinematheque in la and i was tinkering around with it and i was trying to figure it out and you know the, the the simple thing is like, I don't know what people think, but like podcasting is not, um, unless you are like Joe Rogan is not the most lucrative thing in the whole world. So you're like, okay, well I have to figure it out. And I was talking to a couple of my friends and they kept pushing, going, oh, you should just go like figure it out later and da 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 and just go da 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 da. And there was a moment where I actually said, you know, and my wife was like really keen for me to go. She's like, you should go, you know, maybe, you know, it's a great opportunity. It's, you know, awesome for you. And and then I'll, at one point I was like, I just need to talk to my best mate, like, which is my friend Maria Lewis. I was like, I just need to talk to my best mate. She'll tell yeah. me. And I asked, I waited and she gave me the answer that I knew was the right answer. She's like, no, nah, you shouldn't go. Yeah. She's like, you shouldn't. It's like, it's awesome. You sh- it would be amazing if you did, but you need to go there for longer. You've got so many friends over there. Like if you just fly in, fly out, you're going to have that same desire to go back because you've missed all of your friends that you want to spend more time with and get like a half day with all these different friends that you've got. It's like, it would be such a torture to go over there for like 10 minutes and see people and then be like, all right, but I got to bounce by. And that's the answer that I needed. And so, you know, I think that that's, what's great about this movie is that in some respects, that's what Samantha gets to do for Theodore is like, she almost like declutters his entire digital existence, which actually reflects in his real life. And then when she leaves him that parting you know, there's that first moment where she's away and he panics and he has to go through this sort of idea that she's bigger than just his relationship. But then when she leaves and all AI leaves and you see that, you know, kind of couple of beautiful moments where people are like freaking out because the AI is gone. Yeah. There's, um, and the world doesn't end. Um, and there's those couple of beautiful moments where he's just like serene. He's like, okay, I did like, she helped me make my life better. She helped me get back on track and now I'm ready for this next phase. And it's sort of like, um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. And it is like a real relationship too, right? Like yeah. we have relationships with people that are, that serve that purpose. I've had a lot of relationships where it like, wasn't true love. We're not still together, but I learned so much from those people. Oh. They teach you a little bit more about who you are so that when you do arrive at more of a destination relationship, you've picked up tools and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, it's lovely that it's treated like that with that kind of respect. Um, 
yeah and it's always emotional to me when you know samantha explains that she's that they're leaving it's like what does that even mean where do you go, <laughs> where do you go when you're turned off at night the idea of that is almost like another realm of existence and i think it's kind of cool that it also like lets us wonder that and it's it's interesting how the ai and this you know story kind of parallel real humans uh too in a lot of ways so yeah and exactly as you said that's what's so beautiful and meaningful about this movie is that even the bad relationships you learn who you are yeah yeah and you've got to address it and sometimes you're the bad person and sometimes you're the good person and sometimes you're the bigger person or whatever it is but you come out of it and you're like i am so ferociously who i am yeah this is who i am and so then the next one sometimes you have to be uncompromising (laughs) and you're like this is exactly who i am and if you're not up for it then you know obviously we'll compromise obviously we'll be a team obviously we'll make things work but it's like this is so ferociously who I am that I don't, if you, if this, if at face value, this isn't what you want, get out of here. And that's yeah. okay. Get out of here. Something else I really appreciated about the movie that touched me. That's a little sadder, but you know, the kind of moments of alone time and reflection, I really appreciated how the movie did that. That is something else that happens when you've been single for a long time, or you've spent a lot of time alone in your head, you replay your relationships, which I think you do all the time anyway, but you yes. especially do it and you <laughs> emphasize it when you're alone. Like you start to think, you know, I'll talk to my, my little sister has been in a relationship for like five years. And then before that, she was in another one for like eight years. You know, she's like kind of a serial relationship person. And I'm kind of like a serial situationship. Person. <laughs> and, um, which, uh, so it's kind of funny. We have very different perspectives, but we'll, a lot of similarities and you know, I'll tell her sometimes just about like a thought I've been having, like, oh yeah, I was thinking about this guy I dated, you know, 10 plus years ago or whatever. And she's like, why are you thinking about that? Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, I think you romanticize it in all of those spaces. You have more time to think about what went wrong and what you would do differently to, a, you know, not always the healthiest effect, but I really liked the part where um, Samantha kind of confronts Theodore about that, about how he was kind of like lost in his melancholy. And he says, I keep waiting not to care about her. And I think that's something about Catherine, he means. And I think that's something when you spend a lot of alone time ruminating on stuff, you do just think that all the time. You care deeply about the people that have you've moved on from. And so, yeah, I liked that kind of <laughs> representation of, of, that loneliness and that time spent alone as well. Yeah. And it connects, it connects that those moments where, you know, it's sort of, it's part of the movie, but it's kind of magical of like Samantha, the big journey for Samantha is like writing their, them a song, like taking the time machine that music is and rewriting something so that he can, I guess, identify this footprint of his life that has been influenced by Samantha into this new thing it's a new place because if you're listening to those old songs and you're listening to that old music it's just like a time machine and if you go to those old places and those old haunts and those old spaces or you're in the same job it's like there's something impossible to escape and it's like also environments like you go to a town like if you you know we're in a relationship or a situationship in a town it's like you go back to that town it's like oh my god like all the flood of like the smells and sights and sounds and a song hits on the radio and you're like or in your or in your playlist on a shuffle probably more aptly for our generation it's just like holy shit okay I wasn't aware that that stuff was still kicking around in there and then it just comes back. And so, and I think that that's, that's really, really kind of special in this movie. And yeah, I, I mean, what a one, two punch of a double feature lost in translation and her would be, I don't know how you get to feel at the end of that though, Linz. I don't know how you feel. You just I haven't like... watched lost in translation in a long time. And that's another one that I'm like almost, cause that one's also about loneliness. Right. And like yeah. longing for connection and stuff. So I might have to follow up this, <laughs> this watch with that one. Um, it was also interesting when you were saying the, like being back in a place and you know, re-remembering stuff. I just, like I said, I moved back to Chicago, which oh, is man. the college. It's the place I spent my whole twenties. It is very eerie being back here. Cause yeah, you'll walk by a bar and you'll be like, Oh God, that's where I met that guy. Or that's, you know, <laughs> where this moment of my life happened. And it's so strange to be in those same spaces as like an adult. Um, Do you, so, yeah. now, now the only way that this is the the perfect, the optimum conditions to rewatch Lost in Translation. Do you have like a, a, a 
a deep windowsill that you can like, I don't have one myself to like sit in my underpants and stare out the window down onto a town and then go and watch Lost in Translation. But it feels like that's the only way that you should do it. If you, if you, do you have a windowsill that looks down onto the town of Chicago? Not at all. I live in Not like, a- <laughs> park, which is like a neighborhood, uh, you know, <laughs> Northwest neighborhood of the city. I do have a patio and my there patio, I can see the Sears tower from my patio. So, you know, I can kind of, stare off into the far distance. stare off stare <laughs> off into the distance on the patio and then go and watch lost in translation yeah oh man vibes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is thank you so much for coming and talk to me about this movie god i love it so much it's it's really special to me and i'm i'm glad that i watched it again but i am going to keep it special i think because um i really liked measuring how far i've come in my life going back to this um and seeing I think that, you know, like Roger Ebert said, it was like, you know, films are empathy machines. And it's really nice to know that you're just not a machine, that you're growing empathy. Um, and the film always had this stuff in there, but it was like whether you were ready to see it. So it's really fascinating. And I, f- I feel like in 10 more years, I want to see, you know, especially because the the concept of AI is so water cooler omnipresent these days, even amongst normal people about the use of chat GPT and this and that. It's just like, I feel like it's going to be an interesting signpost to look at. And I feel like I'm, this is a movie that was like super big in 2013, but it didn't really, um, it didn't really go much further than that. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is sliding doors, which you've already covered of like Samantha Morton going out of there. And um, yeah. but I don't, I don't know about in the contemporary conversation, whether we hear much about her anymore. Maybe that's because so many of Joaquin Phoenix's movies are so massive these days as now an Oscar winner that it kind of like this one has sort of escaped under the radar. But for me, it was always, you know, I'm that, and I know that you're this kind of weird person, like the, the one, two punch of her and then inherent vice was like so big for us Joaquin heads um, at the time that it was like, wow, like he did the master and then he did this and then he did inherent vice. And it was like, this is our guy forever. And, uh, and this is a lot of years before donning clown makeup and becoming like (laughs) an internet sensation, you know? I think that's interesting. I think Joaquin's career, because I was thinking about this also while I was watching, I feel like his career has had such a long, like such long legs and not obviously many of our current performers have, have careers like that, but his career has been so different at each stage that I think it almost makes people maybe even like forget that he, you know, (laughs) is the same person. Like for instance, (laughs) I was thinking one of my favorite movies ever is to die for the movie with Nicole Kidman that he was in in the 90s. I don't think most people would even like <laughs> remember that that's him or that he's in that movie, except for, you know, like, like I said, dorks like us, or like cinephile. Types <laughs> know that. But like, does the everyday person know that? No, they know him as the Joker. So I do think a lot of his movies have kind of, you know, they know him as the, the Joker gladiator, some of his bigger stuff, but I think some of his smaller stuff kind of slips through. I also Parenthood. Wonder- Parent, parenthood and then I and and recently I was really lucky enough I wrote two essays for an upcoming Jennifer Connolly um, film focus box set which I'm really proud of but one of them was on her career and I watched Inventing the Abbots um, I was just which, bring that up that's yeah, one of my favorite yeah he he's he's fantastic in it because he's the sort of shitbag you know, down and out younger brother who's always in the shadow of his older brother Billy Crudup and always you know looking to try and um be the man of the family, man of the house, et cetera. And he's so a kind of downtrodden guy and he's fantastic in it. There's a whole bunch of like little movies that, you know, takes him a while to run up to and, and warm up to, but yeah, then he, you know, he hits his stride with like the yards and then, you know, gladiator and then Buffalo soldiers and then signs and, you know, then yeah. the village. And he's, he's, he's got a wild career. He really does. I think it's one of the more like eclectic ones, um, maybe, you know, in modern kind of movie star yeah. Type. I think, you know, going back to the like, why hasn't this movie aged as well? Or not eight not aged as well, but maybe doesn't have the same like reverence that that some movies do. I do wonder a little bit. Like I said, my initial thing when I was starting to rewatch it was like, I forgot this movie was one of those like twee, cutesy <laughs> movies. And it's so not that. And I don't think a lot of those movies are, but I do think that pocket, that kind of era of films. I don't know has like aged as well or has held up in terms of people's like esteem. You know, people, if you talk about like, like I mentioned before, Juno or Little Miss Sunshine, yes. people kind of roll their eyes at those movies now because they were so stylized. The indie soundtracks, like I mentioned, the kind of like 
cutesy like frumpiness they're all like people in ugly sweaters <laughs> and that's there's a little bit of that in this movie too and i please think- go to letterbox right now and just make me a make me a list that's ugly sweaters I will just do the, that. The, the ugly sweater indies and send it to me. I'm sharing it everywhere. I want that list. That is an I outstanding will, list. I will do it because I can think of like 10 right now. In fact, I wrote down <laughs> earlier. Lars and the Real Girl, another one of those. Oh, Lars and the Real Girl. I A love great that movie. movie. Great it's so good movie. I rewatched that in my kind of Barbie rewatching Ryan Gosling movies thing. And I had forgotten that one is actually a good, I would recommend that as a double feature with her because it's really similar like the it's kind of like a sad sort of socially detached awkward guy who falls in love with something that's not real and everyone but that one's another one that has like a lot of deep empathy for the situation I had forgotten that that movie was all about like his community kind of you know just holding rallying around him rallying around him it's a beautiful movie yeah 2007 great movie um I'm, I'm sad that I missed it as far as a decade project I might have if I decided to do a bonus like 20 20 year uh i'll go back in that in a few years time really special movie but i did see that pop up quite a bit with people putting up funny playlists on uh a funny list sorry on uh letterbox saying like ryan gosling falls in love with a doll and you know doing a double feature of um lars and the real girl and then barbie and i'm like yeah this this is good this is fantastic (laughs) i know it's amazing yeah that one that one's really great i think that's that's the sad thing about those movies maybe getting the eye roll these days is like I think a lot of them contain something really special which is you know oddity that is like appreciated and nurtured and that's not something I think we're a little more cynical these days I don't know that movies like that could get made in the same way and I think that might have something to do with you know when you think of the movies from 10, 15 years ago that people still really love. It's kind of the bleak shit, you know? It's like kind of <laughs> the, the Uber series. It's either the, the bleak shit or it's like the the mean girls or the what you know, like the kind of broader comedies, but the kind of sweet dramedies, I don't think get really- We weren't ready. We weren't ready yeah. for them. And some of them are bad. Like, you know, I think, what was it like? Me, Earl and the Dying Girl, I think was a shotgun to the head of sweet comedy. Yeah. I actually wrote that down as uh, I was like, I think that's the one that kind of killed that. That's absolutely. Time. Yeah. I think that, that, that totally yeah. killed it. Um, yeah. But yeah. So look, this has been such a fascinating conversation. You know how much I love your work and love you. You're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, your homework assignment is now to think of a 2014 movies that we can talk about because we'll be back early next year to talk to you again, I'm sure. And as we're recording this, it's Ahsoka day. Um, so happy Ahsoka day to those who celebrate and you uh, obviously being a Star Wars aficionado um, and one of the best I guess critical voices in what has become a deeply garbage fandom I'm so grateful for you Um, so I hope you have fun and I hope if you have to share your opinions you don't have to battle through idiots Um, but that's you want to know something you want to know something kind of sad like I haven't watched any Star Wars anything in three four years yeah uh, I, I i have i have had very little desire I, watched andor. To... I did watch andor that's the only star wars thing but yeah yeah i mean andor feels like it's a dream at this point it's like how do they how did that even happen um <laughs> really excited to see um more of andor but yeah I'm, I'm keen to watch ahsoka i do love dave filoni that you know that first series uh sorry second series of the mandalorian <clears throat> where you know she got to come into that uh, that episode that fantastic kurosawa-esque episode i was like very happy to um but yeah so that's exciting but looking forward to talking to you again soon have the best uh have the best time back in chicago and um and think about some 2014 movies that we can come back and talk about Absolutely. and maybe other things that we're tinkering on other things that we might talk before next year Yes, definitely. I will keep that in mind. And thank you so much for having me. This was a a delight. like such a 20th century movie it feels like something david lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded 
it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> Not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark. A uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it. But at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see, 10 of those, you know? Yeah, uh, and, yeah I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I, I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're gonna pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.